Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name's Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, as Pastor Chris mentioned, uh, you know, this is the weekend after Easter, and uh, typically it's a little bit uh, less attended, uh, but we have a great group here this morning, and I'm so glad that we do, because we're looking at Jesus's uh, showing up. His re, um, he shows up to a couple different disciples um, a little bit later in the Gospels that we read. We already had our accounts of which Jesus showed up at the tomb, um, and some of the disciples and the women who looked for him there, and, you know, we hear from him that he is no longer here. Some Gospels, uh, you know, Jesus announces the resurrection uh, uh, with just saying the name, uh, Mary's name, you know, and that, that becomes real for Mary at that moment when Jesus uh, she realizes that it is, in fact, Jesus who has been resurrected and overcame sin and death. But a little bit later, uh, we get different accounts. Uh, the Gospel of John tells a story about when some of the disciples are fishing, and they're out on their boat, uh, and Jesus calls to them from the land. And a very enthusiastic Peter, uh, who sees Jesus, actually jumps out of the boat and swims over to Jesus, and they end up having a meal with him on the beach there. But there's another story, and this is the one that I want to look at today. This comes from the Gospel of Luke, and this is the walk or the road to Emmaus, in which these two disciples have uh, this encounter with Jesus. And it's pretty neat how this happens, Um, but they had this encounter with Jesus. Jesus is walking with them, he's talking with them, and they fail to recognize that it is, in fact, Jesus. A little bit later, they have a meal with Jesus, and their eyes are opened, as we'll read. Um, But then Jesus shows up again um, to these two disciples, along with the other 11. Judas um, is no longer with the uh, 11 or the normal 12 disciples at this point. So they show up with these other 11 disciples back in Jerusalem, and Jesus shows up for uh, a third time to them. So I want to walk through this story, uh, but... Focusing on the first two disciples that Jesus encounters, um, we have these two disciples walking along, and one we know a little bit about. His name is Cleopas, um, and he's kind of the one who has some of the dialogue. He's the one who kind of initiates a little bit of the conversation. So we get his name, and honestly, that's about all we get from Cleopas. We know that his name is Cleopas, and that's about it. Um, But what little we know about Cleopas, we know even less about the other disciple, and is kind of referred to as the unnamed disciple. And there's some theories out as far as why this disciple is, in fact, unnamed. First theory is that this disciple was, in fact, female. Um, And the sad reality is that in this day and age, and Pastor Chris talked about this last week, a lot of times uh, females were not accounted for. Even when we read in the Feeding of the 5,000 in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we read that it's 5,000 men were accounted for, not counting women and children. So there's potential theory that, well, it was a female, um, yes, she was a disciple, yes, she was a follower of Jesus, but, um, you know, probably just not necessary to name her. I don't think that's the case, Um, and a few reasons why. Just as we've talked about in our previous sermon series, including The Excluded, 
Jesus' ministry very much so included women. And even as Pastor Chris looked at last week, they were right next to Jesus. They weren't behind him, you know, 20 steps back or anything else. They were right next to Jesus, even funding his ministry in a lot of ways. Even further, we read specifically in the Gospel of Luke of how Luke was so inclusive, especially of women. So I can't help but think there's no reason why Luke would see, oh, we have a female disciple here, let's just not name her. So that's why I've kind of distanced myself from that theory. Another theory is that this other name just didn't get communicated. And when I say that, maybe this story was told, uh, Cleopas told this story to somebody else and then eventually told to Luke. And as Luke is writing this down, you know, maybe this other person was familiar with Cleopas and just forgot or didn't know the other disciples. So they said, you know, Cleopas was there. I can't remember the other disciples' name. Just put Cleopas. You know, that's fine. That's good enough. Just put Cleopas down. And so it gives a little bit of grounding to, okay, this happened. We know one of the disciples, but we don't know the other one. That's another theory. I'm a little bit distanced from that one as well. The theory that I buy into is that Luke, and Luke is so good, so good at writing, so good at articulating what it is he wants to communicate, I think there was intentionality in leaving this disciple's name out so that it invites us into the story. And as we look to this walk to the Emmaus, we can see how this journey that these two disciples go on can be very similar to our own journey of faith. We can place ourselves, just as Luke invites us to, in a front row seat to this encounter with Jesus, to where we see these disciples, their eyes are open to the real Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, in the same way that these disciples have it happen to them. So as Luke brings us along, I invite you all as well to be invited into the story, this walk to Emmaus, and journey along with me. So we're going to start, this is Luke 24, we're going to start in verse 13. It says this, that same day, and that same day being the day Jesus was resurrected, so that Sunday, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began talking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? Jesus already knows what they're talking about, but I love how Jesus asks this anyway. They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. What things? Again, Jesus, he knows, but figures, why not ask? Jesus asked, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. They crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we see this story unfold, this beginning bit, we see that the disciples are talking along, and they're discussing details, they're discussing facts. Everything that they're processing, you can kind of get a glimpse that it's all happening up here. But what we don't see is that they're failing to see Jesus in their heart, which is sometimes referred to as the 12-inch gap. And maybe this is similar to your own journey of faith. Maybe you started hearing about this 
Jesus guy, the Son of God. You start hearing about these details, and a lot of this maybe is starting to kind of come together in your head, and you're starting to formulate it, but you still have, as I mentioned, that 12-inch gap where you know Jesus here, but you don't know Jesus here. A great friend of mine, a mentor of mine, and actually my previous youth pastor, Joel, he tells a story about when he was younger. Uh, he was having kind of some tough times, tough go at things, and I think his mom had reached out to his youth pastor of the time. And so his youth pastor came over one night, was talking with Joel, and Joel kind of explained, he said, this whole Jesus thing, you know, I'm just trying to wrap my head around it, and I'm just having difficulty in doing so. And his youth pastor replied, he said, well, that's just it. You're trying to wrap your head around it, but you're not wrapping your heart around it. You know Jesus up here, but you don't know Jesus down here. You have that 12-inch gap. And I think that happens for us as well. As we begin, as we begin this walk, this journey to Emmaus, if you will, we know Jesus in detail, but we don't know Jesus in our hearts. They know the specifics and the facts, but they fail to see the beauty and all that Jesus encompasses for the both of them. But as the story goes on, an invitation is given in which they invite Jesus in. So these two, two disciples continue along, and we're going to start with verse 28, or continue with verse 28 as the story continues. It says this, By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Again, I love how this is written. Jesus has acted as if he were going on. So Jesus was like, okay, well, I'll see you later. Good talk. When they said, no, 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 no. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went with them, went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took bread and he blessed it. Sound familiar? He broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. It begins with an invitation where they invite him in and Jesus recreates the Last Supper. He takes the bread, he blesses it, and he breaks it. And at that moment, their eyes are open and they see who Jesus really is. Now, when we know this is a couple days after Jesus has the Last Supper with the 12 disciples, and I don't believe that these other two disciples were there, but I do know that these disciples were friends. We'll actually see a little bit later in the story that they meet up with the other 11 but I don't think they were there, but they probably heard stories, you know, of what Jesus did in the upper room. He said, well, he took the bread and he, 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 he blessed it, you know, and then he broke it and then he, he gave it to us. And he said something about this was his body and he took a cup and he did the same exact thing. So maybe their memory was jogged a little bit. Maybe this was that, that, that Jesus, that same guy that was in the upper room. And so that maybe started to make a little bit more sense to him. But there's other um, views out there that when Jesus held up the bread, just like this, and he broke it, was the moment that they could see the nails and the marks from the nails in his hands. The cruciform hands that took the bread and broke it. And that's when their eyes were opened. There's a picture entitled Supper at Emmaus. You can see it up here on the screen. Uh, this was done by Michelangelo de Caravaggio. I don't think I said that properly, but that's my best bet. Um, this was painted in 1601, um, and you see Jesus, this middle central figure here, and then the two disciples who are the closest at this point. The person in the rear, um, I looked up, was actually was the innkeeper. So we have the innkeeper here, we have Jesus in the middle, and these two disciples, and you can see them just so intently staring 
at his hands at this point, the one on the left, ready to jump out of his seat at the recognition of the marks of Jesus' cruciform hands. And I think when they see this, I think they not only get reassurance that this was Jesus, but I think they have a recognition of all that Jesus went through for them. At this moment, their eyes, their physical eyes, yes, were open, but I think the eyes of their heart were also opened. Do you all know that kind of 90s contemporary song, Open the Eyes of My Heart? Y'all remember that one? That was one of the first songs I learned on the guitar because you just knew like one chord. You just kind of needed to scoot up the neck as you went through it. But I think that, brought, that, that makes it a little bit more real for me. Open the eyes of my heart. In this moment, these two disciples, the eyes of their heart were opened. That 12-inch gap was closed, and they knew Jesus in their heart. And verse 32 says just that. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? When Jesus was walking with us and he was talking about all these things, how did we not, how did we not feel that? How did we not feel that right here, that burning sensation? And I think part of that is because it was too good to be true, maybe. And that's another step that we take in our own journey of faith. When we see and we think about this idea, this reality, that God came down in the form of a human to live this life, to show us how to live, how to love, all the way to taking on sin and death to this horrible, this horrible death on a cross so that we may experience real life, eternal life, life to the fullest, as John 10.10 10 tells us. Sometimes it can seem too good to be true. But as they realize this, as I mentioned, Jesus disappears, so they immediately, they take off and they head back to Jerusalem, meeting up with the other 11. And as they're telling them all that had happened, the other 11, Jesus shows up, kind of spooks them a little bit, and Jesus calms their nerves right away. He says this, peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. You see the marks. Touch me and make sure that I am a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands, he showed them his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. I love that verse. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. They're thinking to themselves, this is too good to be true. No way this is really happening. You know, you get those emails sometimes that says you have this long-lost uncle who wants to give you $12 million. Yeah, like, this is too good to be true. Well, that's not so much true, but this right here. They wanted to believe so, so much, but they felt like, I don't know. I don't know if I can, again, wrap my head around this. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. And I love how Jesus so calmly, so collectively reassures them and reassures their doubts in three different ways. First, he says, look, look at my hands. You can see, this is me. Look at my feet. You can see the marks. Then he takes it further and he says, touch, touch me. See that I'm here. I'm real. I'm resurrected. It's all me right here. And then he takes it even a step further by asking for food. Because we all know ghosts don't need food, right? They don't need calories and carbs and electrolytes and all that. They just kind of float around. I think that story uh, or that movie, Casper, 1995, y'all know Casper the Friendly Ghost? Yeah, 
Well, Casper, the friendly ghost, has three unfriendly uncles. And there's a scene in the beginning where his three uncles come downstairs and Casper, being the good nephew that he is, brings out the food and they're shoveling food in and it's just going right through him, just kind of some slop on the floor and he's cleaning it up. Ghosts don't need food, but Jesus, you know, in such a clever way, reassures their doubts in three ways. Look, touch, and then see that I'm eating food. It is me. I'm fully human at this point. And this just gives further reinforcement. This just reassures them that much further to let them know that, yes, I did die, but I did fulfill the prophecies, and I overcame sin and death, and I'm here with you, and what all that means for you all. But as we look through this story, I do want to go back into some beginning parts. And I think part of this story was a bit of a warning as well. Yes, it's part of the journey, but I think we can kind of slip into going back to that first uh, episode that they had, the disciples have with Jesus, where they're talking about Jesus. They're talking facts, details, and they can get so caught up in it, they fail to see Jesus right next to them. The word that is actually used uh, for uh, this intense discussion is homileo, you know, homiletics, teaching and preaching the gospel. And even given as a warning to theologians and preachers, don't be so caught up in the details. Don't over-sanitize it so much. Don't go so deep into it that you fail to see Jesus Christ right in front of you. I know I went through that troubles when I was at Duke. You learn all this information and you start only focusing on the details. Well, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't historically accurate or that didn't really happen that way. You start to see or you fail to see the encounters that people have with Christ. And I think Brian Zahn, he wraps it up so, so well. He's a theologian who writes this about that type of warning. He said, it's been said that no one ever became a Christian because they lost an argument. Amen? I suspect this to be true. I also suspect far more people than we imagine have become converts to Christianity for the simple reason they were charmed by the beauty of Christ. They were charmed by the beauty of Christ. We can have encounters with Christ. We can know Jesus up here. We can try to sort out all the facts, all the details. But if we fail to see Jesus, the beauty of Christ right next to us, in our hearts, I think we miss out on all that Christ has to offer us. The relentless, the reckless love that always chases after us and will never give up, even to the deepest parts and the darkest parts of our hearts. And that is great news. That is the news of Easter and that we can continue to live out all year long. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that just as these disciples had an encounter with you, that you encounter us. You walk beside us. You let us discuss these details. But it is not until that invitation, that asking, that you fully come into our lives, that we get to experience all that you are. We know you in our minds, God, but it's when we fully realize who you are and all you have done for us when we see the marks on your hands that we can know you in our hearts. And just as the disciples, our hearts can become ablaze. God, we thank you for all that you have done for us, that you continue to reach out and search for us and pursue us. 
That is a love that we will never fully understand, but it is a love we will much better understand in our hearts than in our minds. And that is wonderful news. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.